Hello and welcome to the Politically Spooking Podcast. Spooking! The, the <laughs> Halloween-themed episode. Ooh, spooky. It, we're, we're covering politics so well that it's creepy. <laughs> well, I'm Chris McDaniel, a political reporter with St. Louis Public Radio, and I'm joined by... I am Jason Rosenbaum, the Count of the St. Louis Beacon. <laughs> How are you going to top that introduction? <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> well, and I think I'm that Joe just Manus about does it. With the St. Louis Beacon. And I think that just about does it for the Politically Speaking podcast. Yeah, we're, we're going canceled. Up. We were going off the air after <laughs> okay. that. <laughs> okay. Let's... Well, after that. Let's talk, to something, let's talk about something really scary. Yes. The latest. <laughs> yes. Well, a lot of things have happened in the McCaskill and Aiken race since last week. Since since that happened, there was a debate, in yes. fact, last Thursday. Where both of the candidates looked like weird shades of color, as we were talking about before. Yeah. Well, because it, it was the lighting in the studio. Basically, yeah. there wasn't that much... Uh, um, I don't think there was that much new information that was... It was basically Aiken and McCaskill both doubling down and heightening their differences... Yeah. I think the big news was that McCaskill was pretty candid in her um, meeting with reporters afterwards, and she did get um, uh, one of the reporters there was um, airing some uh, unsubstantiated allegations against one of her um, against her husband there, and McCaskill denied it. And then uh, Aiken didn't show up in the spin room. And yeah. allegedly because of the Cardinals game, but he admitted no. the next day He's been, uh, on a that's radio That's become show par that, for the course with him. It's like he has an event and just doesn't do a uh, media meet and greet afterward, yeah. which I think— He said he didn't want to step on his message in this yeah. case. Yeah. I mean, that obviously irks reporters because we are uh, curious people, but, I mean, that's just something I've noticed <laughs> over the last couple of months. Well, yeah. it's not—well— I think it irks reporters. It's not so much an ego thing. It's just that if we're told somebody's going to be there and you're working on your story and then you want to get fresh quotes and get their perspective on what happened or didn't happen and then they don't show, uh, in this case, with the debate, it meant that McCaskill actually was able to control more of the narrative of what happened in the debate, I think. I don't know what Chris thinks, but because uh, Aiken wasn't there to... Uh, offer any insight beyond what he had said during the debate. Well, one of the things was, you know, in terms of, you know, us, it's not being about an ego thing, but, you know, we didn't swarm the stage or, you know, all the reporters didn't swarm the stage because, you know, the understanding was we would go into the media room and the report or and the candidates would meet with us. In terms of, you know, setting the narrative, um, I, I did get to speak to Congressman Aiken for a few minutes yeah, afterward. because Chris was one of the questioners, so Chris yes. was on the stage. Yeah, you he were one of the – and not just – and I'm not just saying this because, you know, you're a pseudo-co-worker, but your question was one of the better ones. I thought well, some of them you. were a little off-kilter, to be uh, frank. Stem cells, yeah. It was a flashback to 2006. And I mean – Well, the, the stem cell, I think, was okay. I think the thing about the schools uh, – That was a really weird question, yeah. and neither of them answered it, but I really don't know if their decision-making on where they send their kids to school is really an appropriate question in a U.S. Senate race. And the question that Art Holiday did about what the media's reaction to if Nakin wins, I don't think yeah. – I'm not really sure that was an appropriate question well, either. Uh, it doesn't really – I mean, you have to think in terms of what the viewer needs to know. Right. Not not that we're experts, but at least I try to keep that in mind. So at least I'm making an effort to think, okay, what is the average person who's watching this or reading this or listening to this wants to know? And not so much, you know, what 
what is, you know, my ego or whatever. Mm-hmm. But that said, that wasn't the only news with Aiken no. and McCaskill this week. Uh, the next two days later, he did step on his own message yes, when he's he in Springfield at a rally. And he refers to McCaskill as a fetching dog. Yes. Uh, reg- uh, he's referring to um, what he, what he, what he said was was that basically she was uh, doing the errands of whatever President Obama needed. It it, it and, fell and flat. She was going and it went viral. to D.C. picking up taxes and regulations, bringing them back, and then dropping. He them just like really a needs to stop making analogies to things. <laughs> this one was not only you know had the offensive connotation to it. It just I think the Riverfront Times wrote an article that just didn't even make any sense, to be honest. So Well here's the thing. I don't know. On I, on Monday, uh Congressman Aiken appeared on St. Louis on the air. And uh our host Don Marsh asked him uh, about about this statement. And uh during the interview Congressman Aiken was was saying that, you know, we have to focus on the issues. We can't just focus on these statements that I've made and, you know, we can't we can't just talk about you know these scandalous comments that that I make, but then not ten minutes after the congressman and his staff left, that is when Rick Tyler tweeted out a joke about the dog issue, saying that if Claire McCaskill was a dog, she would be a bullshit zoo. Yes. Now now Rick Rick Tyler, so listeners know, yes. is a is a top consultant with. Uh, Aiken at the moment. He's national and had previously been with Newt Gingrich. Known right. for his zaniness. Yes, very zany. <laughs> yeah, we need to work that in. So <laughs> there, there, there are some mixed messages here in terms of let's focus on the issues and in terms of, no, I'm going to keep going back to the dog comment. Well, and, so, and then that, that day um, also, uh, this had been out there for a while about Aiken has been is, is strongly opposed to abortion, and, and he has acknowledged for over a year that he had gotten arrested in the 1980s during the height of the, the protests in St. Louis. I am old enough that I actually covered a number of those protests. He didn't stand out to me at the time. He wasn't an elected official. It was just part of the crowd. Mm-hmm. And But uh, he acknowledged that. Well, then uh, Monday and Tuesday it came out, the— uh, Post-Dispatch had gone through their archives in more detail um, than I had a few weeks ago, and someone had checked and discovered that actually the reason he wasn't found was because his first name was different. It was listed as William Aiken instead of Todd Aiken. Todd is his middle name. Mm-hmm. And that actually he'd been arrested at least three times, and a couple of cases had been carried away from being too close to the um, abortion clinic's doors. Uh, he does not dispute that. Uh, McCaskill's campaign, though, is saying that this is yet another example that shows that he's an extremist. Um, his campaign is saying that this is old news, and A, it just fits in with the narrative that he's anti-abortion. Right. So what's— Wouldn't it have been more damaging if it was found out that, you know, he had been anti-abortion all these years and then had— you know, protested in favor of abortion rights. It just, just seems to be more in line with what we all think. Well, of the views audience, are. her audience, is clearly aimed at the this the sliver of moderate, uh, particularly women voters in the middle, who a may not have been aware of that, b who may not like McCaskill, but she's trying to point out to them, do you really want to vote for this guy? And uh, that message may or may not work. It may send them to Jonathan Dine, 
who's the Libertarian. Of course, McCaskill doesn't care about that as long as they're not voting for Aiken. At the same time, as I said, Aiken's camp is continuing to roll out more accusations about her husband's companies. And so it's gotten kind of down in the, uh, not dirt, but down in the nitty-gritty personal stuff. And I ran into Rick Tyler uh, yesterday at an Aiken event that I was covering for something. And he did tell me on the record, he said that they have been doing polling, uh, as are the McCaskill people. And he contends that uh, they've been testing these attacks against Aiken and the attacks against her uh, as far as the family businesses. And he contends that the family business attacks uh, help Aiken by about five points. Now, I don't know. I mean, I'm just saying this is what they're contending, but it is an interesting um, contention that they think that that is more of a winning message. But so far, they have not had much money to get these accusations on TV. Mm -hmm. You know, so most of what TV viewers are seeing are these attacks against Aiken, not against him. Well, when I woke up this morning, I was surprised to find an email from the Spence campaign uh, with the headline, Dave Spence and Jay Nixon to debate Friday, October 26th. And I was very surprised and taken aback. Now, this is the contest for governor. Yes, this is the contest for governor between uh, businessman, not banker Dave Spence and (laughs) uh, incumbent Democrat Jay Nixon. Very tall incumbent. Very tall incumbent. And um, up until this point, uh, Nixon really did not want another debate. There was a forum uh, about a month ago in Columbia. Yeah. So I was very surprised to to read that they were going to debate uh, tomorrow. Since oh, that's but there's very a short twist. Notice. There's a shocking twist <laughs> to and, this press release. And, <laughs> a spooky twist. And then I read the press release and okay. found out that it will not be Nixon. In fact, it's the ghost of Jay Nixon. In fact, it is actually Bill Randall's standing in for Jay Nixon. And Bill Randalls is Dave Spence's senior policy advisor. And he formally ran against Spence in the GOP primary. Yeah, so yeah. Randalls had been Spence's opponent in the GOP primary. That could be yeah. interesting. I think yeah. it's funny. I think it plays in with the whole thing. I, I wrote a, a short piece about just there hasn't been a whole lot of debate generally in the general yeah. election cycle. Um, you know, some people for might anybody. think for anybody. Not right. there's been one for governor, two for U.S. Senate, and none none, none for no, attorney general. Yeah, none for like of. Yeah, yeah, and none you, for secretary of state, none for state treasurer. Yeah. yeah, and in the old days before you were born, there used to be at least there would be this marathon that the Missouri Press Association used to hold, and it used to take all day. Yeah, and you'd usually have. Uh, I was at the Post Dispatch then, and there would be at least two of us, and we would tag team different ones so we could write between. Mm-hmm. Why the other person was covering the next debate, yeah. and that's that didn't yeah, happen some, this year. Some people may think that's a, a a bad thing, and people get less information that way. But when I was talking with you know uh, George Connor of Missouri State University, the go-to political science expert yes. when it comes to state politics, um, he said it may not actually be that bad a thing. More of a sign of the time, since people are getting information about candidates different ways. Now. Yes, from beyond November, yes. and from the Beacon, <laughs> and from. And from St. Louis, Louis Public, Public Radio. Radio. I will say, though, I will say, though, that legislative debates, state legislative debates are pretty common. And that is a great segue to our next <laughs> section about the state legislature. Well, uh, one one more point. Um, Spence has injected uh, one million dollars this week into yes. his campaign yes, of his I had own it first. money. Yes. Uh, yes, Joe, since you had it first. Because I'm up all it. night. Yes. <laughs> Which is another issue. Um, yes, uh, Dave Spence had injected uh, 500000 on October 16th. 
And uh, that was reported on October 18th. And everybody had that. And last night before I went to bed at some ungodly hour, I was checking the Missouri Ethics Commission site like I always do every night and saw that he had injected another 50,000. Actually, he injected it on the 22nd, but it didn't it wasn't reported until late Wednesday, the 24th, which is within the 48 hour window. Mm -hmm. So that's a million bucks within a week. And um, that will likely it does help him cut the financial edge that Nixon has. As of the last campaign reports, Nixon had about five million left over to spend, and Spence had one point five million. Of course, we all know that Spence self funds, so the expectation was he might put in some more money, and he did. And this also indicates why. Um, when I saw the governor on Tuesday, I'd asked him if there was any thoughts about. Uh, doling out any of his extra money to some of these other down-ballot races in order to help other Democrats. And he kind of gave, he chuckled and made some comment that these are the kind of questions that I keep my thoughts to myself. I'm paraphrasing, but he was chuckling. But in other words, I'm not going to answer that. (laughs) But after the million bucks uh, last night, I thought, well, chances are the governor would be even less inclined because that Spence could write another check tomorrow or another check in a few days and um yeah self-preservation is always the strongest for any candidate no matter how generous they may be and um as said he's the titular head of the democratic party so he is somewhat responsible for what happens down ballot but i think he feels that he's first priority is to get himself Uh, on the one hand you know someone like susan monty could probably use like a five hundred thousand dollar ejection from nixon and that could probably be helpful for her but on the other hand he took the effort through his campaign team to raise all that money, and a lot of that money is from the Democratic Gubernatorial Association. So in many respects, I mean, while I'm certainly – that would certainly be a benevolent gesture, I mean, it can't be an expectation for somebody who hasn't raised as much money. So, Oh, yeah, especially, as I said, when you've got Spence. Now, I, uh, I was among a handful of reporters who did interview the governor on Tuesday – and uh, this was at one of his official events. And, and he admits that that's a lot of what he's doing. He does some campaigning, and um, but he's also doing a lot of official events. And he says that that's because he sees that as his job, and that's what people want to see him doing, not campaigning. Yeah. Now, we, we have talked a lot about the governor's race and, you know, the McCaskill-Aiken race. But some of the races that we haven't discussed as much are the state legislator are the state legislators. But Jason did have a great story going up. Two very stories. detailed. Two very stories. Detailed, very detailed stories. Detailed. Yes. I'm going to try to sum them up as much as I can in, in the brevity that was probably lacking <laughs> in those stories. So we'll start with the state Senate, which is a little bit easier. Um, there are really only four state Senate races that conceivably could change parties. They're all seats that are held by Republicans to go Democrats. There's a couple which are kind of on the peripheral that if there's a Democratic wave, maybe they would be close, like um, Ryan Sylvie's seat in Clay County, possibly David Pierce's seat in central Missouri. But, I mean, even when I talked with Julie Justice, she wasn't talking about that. They were talking about the Kurt Schaefer-Mary Still race in Columbia, the Gary Romine-Joe Fallett race in southeast Missouri, 
Uh, surprisingly, the Doug Leibla-Terry Swinger race in a very Republican district near Poplar Bluff, but Terry Swinger is kind of outperforming what a usual Democrat would do there. And the main one, which is in St. Louis, which is Jim Lemke versus Scott Sifton, which I guess is in Joe's next of the woods. She's just been inundated with mail. And... Yeah, and I've been handing a lot of it off to Jason because yes. I have a conflict since Sifton and I go to the same church. Right. So that race, I think, is – I mean – Every race is interesting. How many times have I used the word interesting to describe a race on this podcast? But that one is actually intriguing because you have two candidates who I think are genuinely working very hard. They're going door to door. They have kind of this experience, but especially on Lemke's case of just being tenacious campaigners. I mean, the reason why Lemke is in the Senate in the first place is he's universally seen as just a tenacious campaigner. And instead of like playing it safe, over his four years in a seat that was 50-50 last time and is now more Democratic yes. during redistricting. He's appeared as kind of this controversial figure on tax credits, unemployment benefits, the Missouri nonpartisan court plan, even red light cameras, which is kind of but, a peripheral issue. But he's not promoting any of that now. In fact, on his flyers, his flyers don't even say that he's a Republican. Right. And so Sifton is almost the opposite on every single one of those issues. He's pro-court plan. He is taking a much different tact on tax credits. He's socially more progressive slash liberal than Lemke on pretty much everything. He's pro-abortion rights. He's for um, putting sexual orientation into the Human Rights Act, both on a county level and on a state level. And Lemke is kind of a reputation as a social conservative. So there is that contrast, but the district has become more democratic. So I really think there's a genuine uncertainty in what's going to happen in that race. It could really go... Either way, it could be dependent a lot on, on turnout, and I think that's the one everyone is, is kind of uncertain about. Well, and their there, uh, attacks have, have been mainly over who has missed more votes or who has taken more money from special interests. That's... Right. Yeah, and I mean, that's what usually happens in legislative races. They don't really go on, you know, what are you doing on a certain issue? It's more of those things like – if you're taking a lot of money from or taking a lot of money from an interest group or if you're taking a lot of lobbyist gifts or you missed a lot of votes. I mean, that's a common uh, tact to attack an opponent on. So that's kind of the lay of the land in the Senate. And it's, it's a little bit easier to do. For the House, it's a little bit more complicated because there are a lot more races. There actually aren't a whole lot of races that are competitive. A lot of them were decided in the primary one way or the other. But there are a handful of races in the region and even more across the state and a lot of them feature former uh, Democratic people who lost in 2010 who are trying to make legislative comebacks in districts that are radically different than before. And I think you could see some instances where some of those people come back. I think it's widely considered, for example, that Jeff Rorta in Jefferson County is a favorite to come back after losing in 2010. But then you have things that are more uncertain, like in South County between Vicki Lorenz England and Gloria Brown, they're actually facing off against each other for the third time. Uh, That's in South County. South County. England won in 2008. Brown won in 2010. And I think everybody has called this the rubber match because <laughs> each person has won once. And I mean, in districts like that, you, it's really hard to say who's going to win. And, you know, districts like, um, you know, in the Boot Heel and in Jefferson County and in mid-Missouri and St. Charles. So, it's going to be – it's hard to determine what's going to happen. I mean the outcome is Republicans are going to be controlling both chambers. It's just a question of what the margin is going to be. In the Senate, for example, it could be 
you know, one seat less than before, and they're still going to pretty much have an overwhelming margin. Or it could be 22 to 12 or something like that, and they kind of are one short vote short of that veto-proof majority. In the House, it could be anywhere from basically the same as it is now, like 106, 105, to where the Democrats could gain five, six, seven seats, depending on which way it goes. The thing complicating it for the Democrats in the House is they have to defend some seats that are currently held by Democrats. It's not like the Senate where Republicans are completely defending their seats. So you could have a situation where they gain a seat here and there, but they could lose one in the more rural areas of the state. So, you know, that's kind of my, if if you can believe that, that probably was a five-minute lecture on House and Senate races, but that's kind of a brief summary of where the lay of the land is right now. Well, and his story is excellent, and you really need to read it. And even the State House Speaker, Tim Jones, who I ran across at a political event yesterday, said Jason's story was extremely fair and extremely thorough. So it has a seal of approval from the Republican I'm not sure if I, I'm not sure if I want that, <laughs> but no Democrats have complained. I'm sure after this podcast I, I will get some complaints. But, I mean, it, it, put, it showed them that they have opportunity to gain seats. And even though, uh, you know, Scott Dickhouse, the HRCC person, called some of these people zombies, and that was maybe— He's, calling, he's referring to the Democrats who yeah. so are trying to get— And that might be back. seen as a pejorative. It, it is kind of— it is kind of when you think about it, these people were kind of lost their their races before and they are coming back and they do have a good chance of, of going back. So while that might not be the most savory analogy that's being put forward, I mean, that's going to be one of the ways they gain ground. And it, frankly, it's not unusual uh, if somebody's lost their seat during an off year on either party uh, to try to get it back during the general election because the voter turnout so much heavier that uh, that they may feel that more of their part this is particularly true of democrats because democrats tend to turn out better in general elections than right. in um off years whereas republicans are generally more reliable yeah. yeah well you can find links to jason's story and and that's where you can definitely um comment about how you're unhappy with the zombie language <laughs> being put in there you can find a link to that at beyondnovember.org which is where all of our stories are compiled i am at stlpublicradio.org, and Joe and Jason are at stlbeacon.org. You can find me at at csmcdaniel on Twitter. At Jay Rosenbaum. And at Jay Manis. Well, we will be back next week regardless. Until then, so long. Sweet dreams. So long.